0: Publish her podcast, episode 21. Oh my goodness. So many thoughts on my mind this morning. We had a special session with Irina Miller in WIP school today about mindset and opening up yourself for creativity. And we did a really cool visualization exercise where we had the opportunity to clear some things and, and open our minds. This may be a topic that you are really um, not familiar with or, um, or or nervous about. Some people get very, uh, I know that I used to get really weirded out when people started talking about making shifts in their emotional areas and in their mindset and in all of those things, but the reality is that so many creatives, so many writers in particular, we carry a lot of fears and um, concerns and worries about what other people are gonna think about our work? About negative reviews? About um, all the things that come with trying to be a successful author? With, uh, you know, are you making enough time in your schedule to write? And feeling guilty about? prioritizing other things in your lives, and all of those things that can plague us. So it was such a beautiful experience to start the morning with this mind-clearing exercise. And although I had my doubts about energy work and meditation and, and doing things like this, I am finding a real shift occurring in me. And today's topic is about health and wellness as writers. The reality is that we live potentially very um, sedentary lives as writers. And um, this can affect us in a lot of different ways. It can affect our mindset. It can affect our body. It can affect so many different things. And when it comes down to it, if we don't feel well physically, emotionally, mentally, it impacts our creativity. So I encourage you to think about how you can work on yourself, uh, your health, your mental health, and your physical health as a writer. So today's episode, we're not talking about mindset, actually, as part of it, but I really believe in a holistic approach to being healthy and um, mindset is part of it and it's something I'm definitely going to talk about more in the future. But today's episode is an interview that I did with Joanna Penn a few years ago. And if you're familiar with Joanna Penn, if you follow her podcast if you go to her blog or read her information you might think this is a very strange topic to cover with her because she's such a powerhouse in the self-publishing world and that is true but one of the things that she's been talking a lot more about in the past couple years is how much health plays a role in our ability to be good writers so when we conducted conducted excuse me this interview a for the women in publishing summit uh two years ago We really talked about the importance of physical health um, in terms of how it impacts your creativity. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, She is such an amazing source and resource For all writers, and if you're not currently following The Creative Pen and her podcast, I encourage you to check it out because I learn so much information from Joanna Penn and always have since the beginning of my journey. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I would love it if you would leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast, if you would subscribe to the podcast, and if you would help share the word. It's a fairly new podcast and we're definitely needing support of our audience to get the word out to other writers and creatives. If you are interested in upcoming webinars and workshops that we are hosting, I hope you'll head on over to womeninpublishingsummit.com forward slash events. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Okay our interview today is with Joanna Penn and I'm going to try not to stumble over myself. Joanna is one of my, all-time favorite people in the self-publishing, indie publishing world, and I've been following her since I started my writing journey, so this pretty much right here is my celebrity interview with <laughs> so I'm to try and keep myself under control here, but I'm really excited to introduce you to Joanna Penn if you're not already familiar with her. She's an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of thrillers, under the name JF Penn. She also writes inspirational nonfiction for authors and is an award winning creative entrepreneur and international professional speaker. Her site, the creative pen with two n's.com, is regularly voted one of the top 10 sites for writers and self publishers. And she has an incredible podcast, which, if you want to be up to speed with, with what is happening in the industry, um, any new developments happening or just, I mean, if there's something to talk about with publishing, she covers it. So make sure you check out her uh, podcast at the creative pen. Thank you for being with us today.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks for having me on the show. It's such a, a lovely introduction. I'm going to have to live up to it now. <laughs> oh yes,
0: And she's got a beautiful British accent. So, you know, <laughs> it's just fun all around. Um, Oh, gosh, there's so much stuff that I want to uh, wanna talk to with you about. Um, the first thing is you've made like a dream that so many of us have come absolutely true, which for if you're not familiar with Joanna, her story started with her working a job that she didn't like and she wanted out of it and wanted to write and she made that dream come true. So for those in the audience who may have that same dream of writing and making a living from writing... Um, How did you do it and what are some of your best tips for being able to make that happen? Then, oh, you know, well,
1: five minutes,
0: which, which yeah, should be enough minutes. to tell that whole story, right?
1: <laughs> it's as, as we talk. It's I'm coming off on like twelve years of this, making right. the dream come true. So, so uh, winding the clock back. So, yes, um, uh, I used to implement accounts payable into large corporates, which, oh. let's face it, is not the most creative thing. And and even though I was paid very well, you know, I was making a six figure income. I was just unhappy, mm-hmm. and I think that's when you know you're doing the wrong thing with your life. And I hit, you know, sort of thirty, and then. And, you know, mid, early thirties. And I was like, I've got to, I've got to do something with my life. So I started reading a lot of self-help books and Americans do it better. You know, I was reading Tony Robbins and all of or Jack Canfield and all of these types of people. And and then Tim Ferriss put out the four hour work week um, oh, yeah. back in would have been 2006. Um, so I started writing a nonfiction book uh, in order to basically change my own life. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. But what I thought was, if I write a book to help me, maybe it will help other people. And I think for people wanting to write nonfiction, that's where you start. You start needing to help yourself with something or something that you have succeeded in helping yourself with, and then you help other people with it. So I started writing that book in 2006. And then I looked at when it was finished, I thought, oh, I'll just now get this published. (laughs) And I look, then it's looked at the publishing industry and it was at that point in 2007. I was in Australia, and I suddenly understood that this was not an industry I was going to go into because it was so slow. It would take two years, three years for this book to come out, and I was not interested. So I looked at self-publishing. Now, 2006, 2007, this is before the Kindle. This is right. before <laughs> ebooks like, went mainstream. This is before ACX, before people were using smartphones. Remember that the iPhone came out in 2007. This is how, like, the dark ages it was. <laughs> so I did the classic... Printed a couple of thousand books, put them in my garage, and then proceeded to not be able to sell any. (laughs) So I made that. I mean, that in terms of mistakes, that's a mistake. Use print on demand, people. Um, But basically, that year I learned about publishing, and then I discovered that I didn't know how to market because my degree is in theology. So I learned how to market. And then I decided to start a blog, the com, in December 2008 to share everything I'd learned. So this is another tip. If you're learning things, blog about it, podcast about it, Do these types of things to help other people. The more people you help, the more successful you are going to be. (laughs) So again, this was before self-publishing was trendy. I started the podcast in 2009, before podcasting was trendy, um, and essentially have just shared my journey ever since. And I started, I did NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writers Month, in, in 2009 and published my first novel 2011, which was also when I left my job. So I left my job in September 2011, because at that point, uh, and this is another tip if you want to leave... um, Leave your job. I know I'm going off on one here. I hope you no, don't that's mind. All
0: right. have take everything <laughs> you got.
1: <laughs> okay. So if you want to leave your job. So I was like, okay, I want to make a go of this. So this was five years into my writer's journey. I'd been getting up at 5 a.m. writing, writing on the weekends. Um, I went to four days a week. And then I was like, I want to do this full time. How am I going to do this? So I basically talked my husband into downsizing. We basically mm-hmm. sold everything. <laughs> Um, we moved into rented accommodation. We sold our house and because I was the main breadwinner. And so I was like, I, I need to do it. I was miserable, so miserable. And I saved up six months income. And I said, if I don't achieve my financial goals in six months, I will go back to my day job. And uh, thankfully, uh, I have never been back to my day job and, and never will. And at this point, I have 28 books uh, under three author names and, uh, and the website, the podcast. Um, I have courses. I'm a speaker. So that's another tip, multiple streams of income. So you cannot write one book and leave your job. You cannot, even if you hit the big time with one book, your money will run out. So you need to have multiple books. You need to have other forms of income as well as books. So, you know, doing coaching, consulting, speaking courses, helping other people as you do. Um, and that, that means you can make a, a creative career that, that you love.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm looking at your newest book back there on your on your bookshelf, The Healthy Writer. <laughs> the that's Healthy right there, Writer. Right um, so I mean, I gosh, how did this one come about? <laughs> and you wrote this <laughs> one with the doctor, right?
1: Yeah. So I guess that's yeah, the, the most recent thing. Um the problem with being ambitious and hardworking, which I'm sure many of your, many of the listeners are. Um, I'm sure, you know, we're talking to a lot of women, Um, moms, you know, doing the job of being a mom as well as all the other jobs or maybe having a day job and trying to write. I mean, that's quite a common scenario now. Um, You know, what you end up doing uh, is basically potentially burning yourself out unless you're careful because the truth is that to be a successful small business owner or entrepreneur, depending on which term you're more comfortable with. Um, So, you know, I believe we're all entrepreneurs these days, um, but some people aren't comfortable with that word. But to be um, a successful entrepreneur for the long term, you actually have to look after your body as well as your brain. And the writers tend to look after well not even look after their brain but use their brain you know really milk their brain and then if you're juggling the house and the kids and your life and maybe your partnership or your marriage and then like the gym (laughs) so so i sort of found myself in 2016 uh Overweight, like more overweight than I was happy with. <laughs> um, I, I was, <laughs> yeah, and the thing, is, the thing is, I had massive, well, massive. I used to, in my old day job, I had back pain, headaches, migraine, um, problems with my body. But as writers, we spend all our time at a desk. So we, we go from a desk job to being even more of a desk job. And if you're at a desk job all day and you come home and you're at a desk job, right? are you're, you, you're in trouble. Um, and I'm in my 40s now and you find your body is not so resilient. Um, so basically I started talking on my podcast and as I, as always, I just share my journey on the podcast. And I started talking about the fact that I needed to do something to Make myself healthy for the long term because I love what I do. I love writing. I love producing books. And you can't do this for the long term if you die early. Right. <laughs> or dying, and you wait. Really yeah, it really does. Dying like yeah. But it's not it's not just dying. It's if you are unhappy mm-hmm. with your body in any way and that whatever size you are, there's no you know, I'm not judging people's size. I'm just saying, if you feel yourself that you need to make some changes, then this may compound. For example, uh, we did a survey on the creative pens. We had over it 1400 writers came back with their problems. Um, and, you know, a sedentary behavior and weight gain is one of the biggest problems for writers, um, as well as things like eye strain, which is related to Computer time, um, headaches, back pain, obviously, uh, loneliness, which was really sad, I think, Um, and then also depression, mental health issues, all these things, even though writing can also be amazing for you. So, the idea with the book, and when I started talking about it on the podcast, Dr. Ewan Lawson, who I'd met when I was speaking at an event, approached me and said we could do a book together. Hmm. So, and I never would have written this book without a doctor. So right. he brings the medical side and I bring the personal slant. So it's, for example, I wrote a letter to sugar, which is quite a, yeah, it's quite an honest, uh, open account of basically an addiction right. and, um, also about some of my challenges around back pain, my husband's challenges with IBS and how that affected our marriage and just basically, you know, some mental health stuff and just, I just wanted to help people with something that I have struggled with too. Obviously, I'm not like the perfect healthy specimen, but I walk a lot now. I do, um, you know, sort of ultra marathons and I'm almost entirely sugar-free and, you know, have really changed my life by writing that book. And so that's another kind of tip for people. Again, if you want to, don't write what you know, write what you want to learn. And in that great way, great tip. Oh, good. That's, well, in that way, good. you can. I love it. I'm <laughs> you can that keep down. changing your life when you do this. So, for example, the successful author mindset uh, book I wrote a couple of years ago. I wrote that book because I was just feeling this massive self-doubt. As mm-hmm. like, my writing is terrible. Why am I bothering to do this? I'm comparing myself all the time to people and saying, why are they doing better than me? Why can't I have that success? Why, you know, what's And just this, and then when I published a book, this sort of depression, even though I should be happy. So I was like, what's going on here? And then I asked other writers and other people felt the same way. So again, I wrote The Successful Author Mindset to help myself with the realization of what is true for everyone. Uh, And that book is the book I get the most emails about, which is You Read My Mind. So often the way we're feeling is the way other people feel and we can help them if we're honest.
0: Yeah. that you know what, that's such a great point. And one of the things that we've been talking about in, in my group is people have a hard time finding their, their target audience and their target market. And I think that a lot of that stems from the fact that they're writing what they want to write about, but not learning something. They're writing about what they think people want to hear about. Well,
1: I, I do have a, I have a very good example of that. <laughs> okay, um, <good. laughs> So, uh, I wrote a book called Business for Authors, How to Be an Author Entrepreneur. Now, mm-hmm. uh, it and I wrote that again when I was moving into a proper career as a writer. And it includes chapters on how to run a business, which includes things like doing accounts right. and working, you know, with tax. And uh, this book just wasn't selling. And I was like, mm-hmm. what's going on? You know, why aren't writers buying this book, do they not want to run a business? And then I looked at it from the angle of, of a uh, somebody who wants information about making money. And I was like, ah, I've just got this wrong. So I wrote a, and this is quite a chunky book. Um, I wrote a much smaller version, so about a third of the size. Mm-hmm. And the book is called How to Make a Living with Your Writing. Yes. And that book is like sells a lot of copies uh, in all formats because even, and, and it's not copied and pasted, it's rewritten, but the content is the same. Mm-hmm. People don't want to run a business. They want to make a living. That's right. So, so the often the difference is your book title for nonfiction makes a hell of a difference and yeah. you have to use the language that people um, are searching for as, as the person, as opposed to the language that you would use. And I often use the example with, um, psychologists or like with you and co-writing with you and for the healthy, healthy writer, like he had one chapter and I'm like, this is not in English. You're writing in doctor speak. (laughs) People don't say they have, you know, you know, they don't want cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. They feel, they say, I am depressed or I, I am anxious and then you offer CBT as a possible solution, but your book is not called how to use CBT, you know, your book right. is called how to help your depression or right. something like that. So I hope that's useful to people. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm so glad you
0: understood the point that I was trying to make.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'll even take it further as well, because you can do some great research on book titles. So mm-hmm. literally just go to amazon.com change the little search bar to Kindle or to book. You know, generally we sell more on eBooks. So change it to Kindle. Um, And then, just start typing things in, and this, the drop downs that appear are the search terms that people are actually searching for. So, and the best thing for nonfiction is at least have a very obvious title or subtitle. So, even if you have a smart one-word like title, make sure your subtitle is very clear. So, the healthy writer, you know, says things like "reduce your pain," uh, which is a good kind of keyword um, phrase.
0: So, that's very important. So um, the question I have for you then is how do you know, um, say you've got this great idea and you don't, obviously until you saw that no one was buying your book, you didn't know that people weren't going to buy it. Do you have any tips um, on, on how people can know if it's a book that people will actually want to buy and read? Well, when you do that, well, one, if you type
1: in a title and nothing comes up on Amazon or Google, you're probably early. So it's very interesting Um, what we've seen uh, as we talk at the beginning of 2018, um, the big story of kind of the end of last year was cryptocurrency, right? And Bitcoin and blockchain. If you went on Amazon a year ago and searched for books on blockchain or Bitcoin or any of the cryptos, you wouldn't, you would have seen the two books since like October, it's gone nuts. Mm. So what's so interesting is you can be early. So for example, the reason why my blog is incredibly highly trafficked from Google search is because I was blogging about self-publishing 10 years ago when basically nobody else was. Um, And so I've got that long. I was early. I'm usually early on these things like my podcast again, very early. So you can be early if you can't find it. Then maybe if you are doing something very, techie then that might be what might come up but if you're doing um you know more normal topics like most people are like um I have a a friend who wrote a book on potty training Uh which let's face it, it lots of people need that but there are also lots of books on potty training so she researched the category and then made sure her title was not you know clever It was just like, you know, whatever it was, potty training. And she sells lots of those because people are looking for it. She wrote another one on trying to um, help... toddlers eat their greens or something and that book just doesn't sell because actually mums are not searching that is not such a terrible thing so people are not searching for that so you would make sure the keywords exist there are lots of tools um kdp rocket is one of the tools that you can use there are lots of other ones Um, Keyword tool.io, I think is another one where you can actually get the number of searches. So for me, another lesson learned, um, my first book was originally called How to Enjoy Your Job or Find a New One. <laughs> now, <laughs> I thought that was what it, it did, what it said on the tin. And again, I mean, not a great search term. Who wants to enjoy their job? Right. So, <laughs> Just get <laughs> so me out of it. <laughs> well, interesting. so what I did, I rewrote that book in um a few years later after i left my job so i rewrote the book in 2012 i rebranded it and retitled it as career change Mm -hmm. and if you go on amazon and search for career change you should find that book on page one of amazon for career change keyword and that's the right title for that book because it's all about how do you change your career um so you can and the beauty of independent publishing is that you can change your title your cover the book um and do whatever you want with it so don't be afraid to rebrand add a new cover refresh things Um, you know if, if people listening have published before and got their rights back definitely you know think about a new cover maybe even consider changing the title with keywords but um
0: yeah you can rejuvenate sales by doing these these things that's a great point and, and and yeah in fact i've had to do that with with my first book that i self published because after i learned a little bit about what covers should look like <laughs> and and you know and this is the scary thing about um indie publishing is that sometimes you think you've hired a professional who knows what they're doing because they say you know they they know how to do book covers and then as you learn a little bit more you're like ooh they didn't do any of the Continue things that well. she should have done The the image bleeds over onto the spine and it's just bad. I mean, it's just, it was bad. So I had to pay to have somebody redo it. Now I'm very happy with the book cover, but yes, that just to, to further your point that yes, it's possible to change it and to make it better, better, farther down the road. Um, so, okay. One of the coolest things about you, I think, well, besides the fact that you just love sharing, your successes and how you've gotten there, which I think is fantastic that you're so open and willing to share all these tips and tools and resources. But I love that you've been so successful on both the fiction and nonfiction side. So I know there are lots of people, myself included, who, be it because we're trying to make some money or grow our business or whatever, we start with nonfiction because that's the easiest for us. We can all write about what we know how to do but we all have these big dreams of writing our novel, our big novel. So um, when did you start writing your novel and what tips do you have for the novelists out there? Or the wannabe, the wannabe novelist. Wannabe novelist. (laughs) Yes. That's what I meant. (laughs) Yeah.
1: um, Well, first of all, I actually, you know, I, forgotten, but now I remember I did a webinar on this. So I'll give you the link to the replay, oh, which is great. how to write how to write fiction if you're a nonfiction author, <laughs> which goes into this in details, like an hour's presentation. So I'll send you the link for that awesome. and you can put it in the show notes or something. Um, yes. But basically, so, you know, going back, so I went to Oxford University, which is very, uh, let's just say up itself. <laughs> um, and my family are, very literary, um, so I kind of grew up with this feeling that you can 't write a novel unless it 's going to be up for a Pulitzer Prize or right. <laughs> you know it has to be a prize winning literary fiction novel in order to be worth writing so that that stopped me writing mm-hmm. fiction for many, many years, which is sad in itself so first thing is do not be embarrassed about what you like to read, mm-hmm. and this is the key so I when I started writing nonfiction and started relaxing a bit and blogging helped me relax from my kind of corporate technical specification Mm -hmm. writing persona, um, blogging helps you talk in a more normal voice. (laughs) Um, but, and that's really important. If you're going to relax into fiction, you do have to kind of exorcise that, um, you know, official speak that third person sort of, uh, thing that you get (laughs) when you're in business. Um, so I, had that block for a long time I didn't even know it was a block but when I looked at what I did every lunch hour in my miserable job I would go to the bookstore and buy thrillers so oh. I would read thrillers I like explosion movies my favorite film is Con Air <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie <laughs> yeah, exactly I love explosions I like fight scenes you know I like the A team I love James Bond you mm-hmm. know Lara Croft that's That's what I like. It's pure escapism. Yes. And I was like, and I had this realization that I could actually write what I like to read. It doesn't have to be, um, a prize winning novel (laughs) because I didn't want to spend my, you know, I was, I was doing the day job. I, I didn't want to spend years kind of self-examining. I just wanted to write something fun with (laughs) explosion. So in, um, In NaNoWriMo 2009, so if people don't know NaNoWriMo, uh, depending on when this goes out, but NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month. It's every November, but you don't have to wait till November. You can still kind of take the principle, Mm -hmm. which is in a month you write 50,000 words and you don't censor. You just get 50,000 words down. So I I think I managed 24,000 in that (laughs) month. (laughs) But what's interesting is it it helps me get over that. It was just like, okay, I just have to write this what's in my head, I don't have to make it good. Um, And out of that came the first 5,000 words of what eventually became Stone of Fire, my first thriller novel, which is now there's nine books in the Arcane series. And my protagonist, Morgan Sierra, is kind of Lara Croft meets James Bond and Indiana Jones. So it's still really fun to write and hopefully to read. So my tips are you know first of all let yourself write whatever you love if you love romance write romance do not be ashamed of that it's the best selling genre <laughs> you are far more likely to be successful as an author if you do write romance if you like horror write horror if you love literary fiction go ahead write literary fiction but really look at your look at what you read and what you love to read and the stories you remember mm-hmm. and then timed writing is the next mm. trick and this is true for fiction or non-fiction but particularly for fiction when you don't know what you're doing <laughs> which is true for most <laughs> novelists starting out um so you make a time with yourself so in my calendar i schedule i'm a hyper hyper scheduler but this like this morning i have jf pen time jf pen is my fiction name my thriller fiction name i'm at the cafe at seven and i write until nine thirty. And that is fiction time. So this, I'm working on a screenplay, but the principle applies. You just, um, you maybe it's 20 minutes. Let's say you have 20 minutes. That 20 minutes, you turn up to the page and you only work on your novel. So you're like, okay, 20 minutes. I'm just going to write whatever. And you don't censor yourself. Don't get angsty. Write a pile of crap. Uh, <laughs> you can fix it up later. But until until you start putting words on a page, you won't get anywhere. So that kind of timed writing to get the first draft done, that is gold because that first draft you can tidy up. It's much, you know, and restructure because that first novel, you will know nothing about all the things you need to know as a fiction writer. I will say that my next non-fiction book is going to be how to write a novel. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And I have a, uh, yeah, I have a course on this as well. So um, because, you know, and it's funny because I've had that, self-doubt over how can I write a book on how to write a novel Um, and how can I have a course on it? You know, I, I'm not, Stephen King,
0: but the point is that you actually you not yet, you actually I, have I'm just so sorry. glad to hear that someone as successful as you has the same kind of of, of mindset issues and self-doubts that everybody has. Oh, <laughs> because I'm sitting here, how absolutely. can you not write a book about it? <laughs> well, that's the thing,
1: and we feel that, but then I realize that the further you get. From the initial experience, Mm -hmm. the less you remember what it's like. So I, I actually have to write how to write a novel now because very soon, I will. I, you know, I'm almost there already. You know, I've written 18 novels at this point. I'm pretty. I know how to write a novel. I know it's not. It's not. It is a challenge creatively, but I know that if I decide to write a novel, a novel will appear in X months. So I need to write this book while I am still in this phase. So that's another tip. You don't need to be uh, the top of the pyramid to write a book to help the people who are not at the bottom, but you know what I mean, who are a few steps behind you. It's better to try and write things about your journey when you're a few steps ahead because you're still able to Talk their talk as such, and use their language, and that's like the healthy writer. Yeah, yeah. I'm not like a size ten; you can't see my hips <laughs> on this video. But this is the thing with the, with the healthy writer: it's better to write it while I'm still going through yeah. my own health journey, which, let's face it, is
0: is for the rest of our lives. <laughs> you know, I heard you say that in another interview at some point in time, and I can't remember where it was. It doesn't really matter. But I heard you say. Some of the best writing and helping other people is when you're just a few steps ahead And I, I really appreciate you saying that because it, it really gave me some more self-confidence about helping people through the publishing journey When i'm like mm. you could go with, work with somebody who's done this for 20 years and did it in a traditional house and all that kind of stuff But I was like, but she's got such a great point I'm in the weeds right now and I know what those challenges and hurdles are Mm-hmm. that somebody else who's been doing it forever and a day and forgets that somebody doesn't even know what an ISBN is, you know? <laughs> so so thank you very much. That, that had a big impact on me when I heard you say that the first time. And I think it's relevant to our, our people in the audience who are thinking about writing a self-help or a how-to or a, mm-hmm. a book about what they know, because I've come across a lot of entrepreneurs who really struggle with how do I write a book being the expert when I don't feel like I'm the expert? I'm like, you are the expert because you do it every day. And this mm. is a great example of that too. And, and
1: it's your, it's your opinion as right. well. And this is so interesting with the healthy writer. Cause some of the chapters are Ewan's chapters, Doc, Dr. Ewan. And it sounds like <laughs> Dr. Ewan. And what I had to do in co-writing was say to him, we have, you have to rewrite this chapter so that it sounds like a real person. Right. And, and actually the, the, The reviews on Amazon already are coming back to the most personal chapters. Now, this is another tip. Uh, You can't quite see behind me, but in my bookshelf, I have a whole load of... um journals uh so i have always i've journaled since i was like 15 and i include excerpts from my journals in my books now if you don't journal fair enough but another tip is to use dictation or just tran, you know talk into a microphone record yourself and then get a, a transcriptionist because when you shortcut that process of, wor- of words from your brain to the screen you get rid of some of your guard's you know, mm-hmm. so what I find often with people writing nonfiction is it sounds like a blooming textbook. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's not interesting. You know, you actually have to use the principles of fiction writing, storytelling, personal anecdotes, a journey, you have to take the reader through a journey. Um, so like in the healthy writer, we start part one is the unhealthy writer, uh-huh. and then how you can kind of transition. Um, to, and some of the practices you can use. So that's that's I guess a, another tip um, is to really try and use your personal stories as much as possible, and that is what will stand out. The reason why people, people let's coming back to diet. Let's just do diet because who right. doesn't buy diet books? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, the latest diet book. Oh, when I was trying to give up sugar, I must have read every single blooming book on giving up sugar. <laughs> I mean, by, you know, with the crappiest covers, some of the best-selling ones, because I wanted to read about the individual's journey right. and their struggle because I was going through it too. And I was like, why am I like, why am I craving like this? What is wrong with me? And reading like a medical doctor's view on why, why the sugar molecule does, that's not the point, is it? It's the personal journey or how that impacted your kids mm-hmm. or how that impacted your sex life or, you know, you, the more, this is another tip, the more authentic you can be, the more you will help people, the more money you will make. Let's bring it back to business because mm-hmm. that's what people want. So, I mean, if you take a really successful nonfiction memoir, um, Wild by Cheryl yes, Strayed. Yes, yes. And if you've read any of other of Cheryl Strayed's works, she, that I mean, that book is amazing. What I kind of got upset about was that she wrote that what fifteen years or something later, but it felt so immediate. And then you you realise that she's she's been an agony aunt for for years um, under this column called Dear Sugar. And what I think made that memoir what it became is because she had she had done this agony aunt kind of work. She knew how to hit us emotionally with what was. A memoir how many memoirs come out eat pro love same thing you have to look at what's the best selling stuff um mm-hmm. why does it actually why are you attracted to that why are you reading that um and then i mean you know try and model that type of writing in the books that you
0: want to write that is phenomenal advice because i think it's really difficult especially especially while we're talking about memoirs um It's so difficult to straddle that line of writing about something that's true and making it something that reads like a fiction and, you know, really being able to to hone into those emotional experiences. And I don't know if you've read The Glass Castle, but that's another one that is just phenomenal, like you're in it. And, um, it's, it's like reading fiction. It's got to be so good that you want to be part of that journey, part of that story. Mm. So I'll yeah. tell
1: you like another example, um, it's on Netflix is the crown, the series, the yes, crown I just started watching that. <laughs> that is especially series 2 it is stunning what they have done with story structure on what is one of the most public family dramas in the world and has truth if you look up if you i was sitting there googling i was like did that happen then yeah. you know but what's so interesting is how they have changed the order of some events. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, the photo of Princess Margaret, where she looks naked, mm-hmm. um, that was actually taken once they were married. Whereas in the, the crown, the adaptation, they used it as a, a device in a different order before they were married. And to kind of, you know, so that's really key with memoir truth. Mm-hmm. Is not just a list of what happened it 's right. actually what is the emotional truth, uh, and how are you going to use storytelling devices to impact the person watching for or for example, how they in the crown how they used another character as a foil for Prince Philip because they can 't say Prince Philip did this, um, but so they kind of showed these other things, or the use of symbols and metaphor to Echo what they what their point was. It it's a masterclass in memoir that series. It's absolutely stunning. So these are things to watch out for in nonfiction. I mean, with self help, I mean obviously slightly different, but that journey of of the reader still has to follow. They still have to be pulled through somehow. That which is why you'll see many self help books now have more personal story in by the. Um, writer than they used to mm-hmm. if you read self-help books from you know let's say 20 30 years ago they they're quite different right um but now you have to bring story in yeah
0: you're almost seeing like a cross between memoir and self-help now self-help, yes
1: yeah. uh, absolutely absolutely and and that's why you have to understand the point like uh, you know a memoir is not your life story right. it's got to be the you know it's got to have a a resonance with with the reader and the same with with self-help yeah what and the same with fiction it's like the theme what is the theme what what is the reader going to come away with and feel like so for example with the successful author mindset i want you to come away feeling like you are not alone and that's the advertising for that book it's you are not alone Mm-hmm. Do you suffer from self-doubt, fear of failure, you know, comparisonitis? Because the whole point of the book is you are going to feel this way. And the self-help is not solving the problem. Right. The self-help, because you're never going to stop feeling these things. The, the, the point is that we all feel it. So you actually have to learn to create alongside
0: those feelings. Huh. That's such a great point. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, I I want to um switch gears just a little bit because I know I've been taking up a lot of your time, but there's still one other thing that I kind of want to cover and that is um the whole idea of getting to be best-selling books. So, you've been if you don't mind talking about this, you have been um both New York Times and USA Today bestselling author. And I I have heard so many people ask like right away, but like before they've even published their book, like, how do I make this a best-selling book? <laughs> and it's a question everybody wants to know. And there's also that 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 scenario where people say, well, you're self-publishing, you'll never be on those lists, which obviously you've proven to be wrong. Yeah. It's it's so, not true. Right. So how does Andy yeah. do it? Okay, so,
1: first of all, I completely understand the desire because for some reason, it's become like a big deal in the right. industry. Um, but the truth is that it it's practically meaningless to most people now because there are so many best selling books. I think a lot of what we have in the publishing industry is a hangover from <laughs> 20 30 years ago so back in the 90s when uh, you know you and i were alive <laughs> yeah. um, and back in the 90s people were getting paid half a million pounds you know or million dollars for their first book right um advances now are more like five grand three grand less than that i mean it's That's so sad. (laughs) There are more and more books being published all the time. I I went to a presentation at a publishing industry thing where they said that, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the book on the New York Times list that you know, that book or the top list, everyone was talking about that book. It's a bit like comparing it to network TV. 10 years ago, back in the 90s, a show was on and we all watched it because there was no other choice. What this presentation said was a book that hits the bestseller list now. Most people have never heard of it. Uh, You know, the, the bestseller lists are not directing the cultural conversation in the way that they used to. I mean, I, you know, I just gushed about the crown there. Right. I mean, the, the the cultural conversation is often Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you know, Stranger Things, you know, it's what people are watching on TV or film, uh, as opposed to what they're reading. So that that's one point, but let's not, um, let's just go into uh, the technical side. So the technical side is, let's take the New York Times. So the New York Times is a, is a curated list which means humans are sitting there deciding what will go on the list. They have changed the rules over the last few years. So you can actually go to just Google New York times, you know how the list is made or whatever. Uh, they did have, I, I was on the New York times list I think it was 2015, 2014, something like that. Um, we, I was one of 12 authors in a box set, so an ebook box set. We sold over 110,000 copies. And we were on the New York Times for two weeks in the, at that point, they had a combined ebook and print book list. They do not have that anymore. And they've also, I believe, stopped letting ebook box sets on the list. So that, um, you know, at the time we also hit the USA Today. But the point is that was 12 authors with a low price box set. And around that time, everyone, not everyone, we were actually, I think, the first thriller box set to hit the list. Romance authors have been doing this for years. Um, But they've changed the rules now. So the New York Times has become quite difficult. If you want to get on the print list, they count the number of sales at certain bookstores around America. And the, the industry knows where these bookstores are and they can be gamed. So there was a big thing in 2017 about a woman who basically gamed the stores by um, ordering her print books at all these stores. Right. Um, and because of the way the lists were done, she was on the New York Times, I think, for like three days before she got out. <laughs> but, you know, so basically it's a game. Um, the USA Today is a lot better because they still count sales. So you can still hit the USA Today list. Um, I hit the USA Today on my own as um, a single author. It was still with a box set because box sets are really good value for readers. So they tend to buy them uh, more and it's easier to get bulk sales on a box set. Uh, ebook box set which means just one digital file containing multiple books so it was my arcane thrillers books one to three hit the new hit the usa today in august 2016 five years after publication so that's another point you don't have to hit it in launch week in fact i advise you not to so yeah, that's really important too. So the USA, the other important thing is that you need sales on multiple stores. So if you sell a million copies on Amazon this week, you will not hit those lists unless you also have to sell at. Uh, a certain number, it used to be 500, I don't know what it is now, number of books at um, iBooks and or Nook and or Kobo, but Kobo doesn't really count in America. Um, So basically, most of us try for Nook or iBooks. Um, So and again, it's a game. So you get a book, Bob, uh, the aim is to get a book Bob and then you can only get a book Bob if you, and this is at this point in history, again, this will change, but if you get a book Bob, you can pretty much guarantee a decent sales spike. Um, in that period and then you do what's called ad stacking and I've done a big post on ad stacking on my blog again um, where you essentially buy different ads around that one big spike so you might start running Facebook ads a week before and continue running them you might you know do some free booksy bargain booksy Uh, other types of promotions, social media, giveaways, whatever you're going to do, because those sales have to happen within that one week Mm -hmm. um, to be counted. And you need to look at what days the list starts, because I think it's like a a Monday or a Tuesday or something, which is why traditionally published authors come out on a Tuesday. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong. I can never remember. Um, But yeah, those are basically some of the things. But it's, so you can definitely hit the USA Today um, still as an indie it 's much harder to hit the New York Times Wall Street journal i 'm not sure uh, that is for nonfiction I think i don 't really know much about that but you can Google to find out um, Amazon now has their own charts
0: mm-hmm.
1: so Amazon charts uh, if you just google that um, they have their own list which is and um, they have they very pointedly say the most books sold and the most books read so you know if you sell a hundred, thousand on Amazon in one day, you you're I think they do weekly. So you, you sell half a million on Amazon in a week, you will be on those charts. And but those charts are normally dominated by um adaptations like the handmaid's tale, you know, and that type of thing. Uh, so that's interesting. The on the smaller level, one of the things that many authors want is to get the orange bestseller tag, which you can get on Amazon very easily. Okay. So this is why when people are like, Oh, Amazon bestseller, it's pretty meaningless, but I still aim for it every time is to get my orange bestseller flag. (laughs) So, and you can see that if you go onto Amazon and you, um, obviously with your book. So, um, on the day that you're doing it, Or it's if you scroll down to your categories and you're number one in a category, that's where your bestseller flag. You don't see it on your book page, though. If you're number one in the category, go to the top of Amazon and type in your book name and you'll see it on the search. So that orange banner comes up on the search. Now, my opinion is that if you have an orange banner screen print saying bestseller from Amazon, you are an Amazon best-selling author, sure. but there's a hell of a difference between selling, being a bestseller with an orange tag in a sub 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 category of, like you know, uh, children's gluten-free vegetarian food, <laughs> bestseller, or the number one bestseller on Amazon.com. Right. So, this whole bestseller thing is a very fraught topic. Right. So there are people who say, have said to me, oh, you shouldn't say you're a New York Times bestselling author because you were in a box set. And I'm like, well, that negates all the anthologies, that traditional right. publishing, or, you know, why is that an issue? Plus, traditional publishing plays this game all the way. Yep. So why shouldn't we? So those are some thoughts on bestselling. The other thing I would say is the day after we did... I just, and and I actually put this in the successful author mindset, the creative disappointment, Mm. because you think that that's your goal and then you realize it's not your goal. (laughs) Right. So consider your definition of success. Do you really want to hit a list or do you want to make 10 grand a month over, you know, the next five years or whatever Mm. you want to do? So really be, be, think more, seriously about what you want to achieve with your author career and what your definition of success is. And you'll be much happier.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's kind of funny because it seems like so many people, like they just have this goal of, I'm going to make the New York Times bestselling list, but they don't, they don't know why, because like you feel this, this hangover that everybody wants to be traditionally published because that that's just the way to do it and they want to be a New York Times bestseller because that's just what but they don't know why and they don't have a plan to get there. So you know, they just assume that if they uh, you know, pay somebody a couple hundred dollars to do a marketing campaign or to throw up a Facebook ad or whatever, that's gonna do it. And I think um just listening to all those things that you just talked about and some things that other people have talked about in marketing, like it's a, it's a very long, detailed, dedicated process of a lot of parts coming together, knowing and understanding keywords and target audience and categories and, and all those. yep. Things.
1: Yeah, which is why one of my biggest nonfiction books is how to market a book. I mean, it is, it's a
0: chunky it's a book. book. That's the first book of yours that I bought. It still sits on my nightstand. Oh, so. thank you. <laughs> well, the updated version this year, the third
1: third edition uh, for 2017, uh, it was so interesting because I think a lot a lot has changed yeah. since I wrote um, the first edition in like 2013. Um, so, you know, it's so fascinating how paid advertising like has become such a big thing. Thing now but I still circle back like you know my thought on marketing yes I use paid advertising for spike sales Mm -hmm. but I'm an author for the rest of my life so my main concentration with marketing is writing more books building an audience slowly building an email list um, hopefully reaching people through things like this Mm -hmm. sort of if you like anything I say, um, you might come and check out my books. You know, trying to be generous, trying to be memorable in different ways. Mainly just staying out there for the long term. Right. right. You know, because you you spend all this time and money on one spike week of sales, you may not make that money back because it costs. You know, I think in the end that run, that last ad stacking run. Out, I was out of pocket around seven hundred dollars. So I made around four and a half thousand, and I spent, you know, five thousand or something. And I mean, for for what to say, USA Today bestseller or whatever. Um, Whereas my main concern is, I am a full time writer, and my actually what I didn't say at the beginning, my husband left his job in twenty fifteen, and now we work together in the company. So I'm now the main breadwinner again, and so. My job is to make us money. <laughs> so I have to be now and at next month and next year and in 10 years and in 40 years, hopefully, 50 years, because I'm going to get really old. That's right. Because um, exactly. healthy writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'm really healthy. I will live forever. So, but this is the thing. If you're, if you're only thinking about spike sales, you're only thinking about and you're ranking and stuff like that. That's such a short-term mindset. Right. Whereas the long-term, like the successful author mindset really is a longer-term mindset what do i really want and what do i want for the next year five years 10 years do i want to still be doing this you know when i die if you don't then no worries but i do so that's why my marketing is generally more focused on longer term Mm-hmm. uh things content marketing that type of thing um
0: but yeah that book marketing is a whole nother interview so we'll have to do that another time <laughs> i would love to oh my gosh okay. well and it's the, it's the biggest question it is the biggest question because people come out they they publish their book and then they're like I published my book and only yeah, no, and
1: nobody's bought it. it. Nobody's
0: bought happened? it. What yeah. <laughs> And oh uh, yeah. So well shoot, if you'll come back, I'd love to do one specific to marketing. <laughs> but well, I've had you, I've tied you up for an hour now. So I suppose I should I should wrap this it's definitely up. my dinner time. <laughs> yes, exactly. So thank you so much for being here. And where's the best place for people to connect with you? Sure.
1: So you can come along to the and that's pen with a double N. And I also have the creative pen podcast, as you mentioned, or any questions I'm on Twitter at the creative pen with a double N and all my books, um, nonfiction, fiction, et cetera, are on uh, wide. So on all the different stores in print
0: ebook and audiobook formats. So, um, yeah, I hope people found that useful. Oh my gosh, so much great information. And like I said, you are a rock star to me. I really appreciate the time and I always consume everything you put out. So thank you. This is fantastic. And I just know people are going to love you. So thank you. Thanks for having me.